We are really blessed to have a special guest with us today. Uh, Pastor Richard Batchelor is here all the way from Elan in New Zealand. Uh, and uh, Richard is uh, the senior pastor, the lead pastor of the Elam Church in Nelson um, and is part of the national leadership team for uh, Elam in New Zealand. Um, if you want the, the official line, he, he, here's the chat. Um, Richard took on a, a fledging church in New Zealand of around about 20 people and under his ministry has grown to become a significant church of over 250 people. Um, but if, like me, you're not really into the numbers game and the fluff and all that nonsense, then here's the even bigger headline. Richard loves Jesus. He hears from God. He carries a heart for the presence of God. And he desires to minister the kingdom wherever he goes. And that, for me, is more important and what gives access to this pulpit. <laughs> Not numbers games, but a heart for Jesus. So I wonder, please, if you would give your utmost to extend a huge welcome to Richard as he comes to minister to us. <laughs> Let's just pray for Richard, shall we? Father, right now, we thank you for this man of God that you have sent to us today to minister into the heart of our church. Lord, we thank you that you have put a word in his heart for us. And so we open up the soul of our church and we ask you, God, to speak right into the very soul of our church. Richard, we permission you to speak into the soul of our church today. And God, we ask that you would speak into our own individual hearts and lives. And Father, we bless him and the work and the ministry that he is doing for you in his corner of the vineyard. But Lord, above that, we bless his character and his nature. And we bless the spirit that he carries and the anointing that he serves. And we ask, God, that that would be what we would experience today. That we would encounter your character and nature, your spirit and your anointing as we sit under the ministry of this man of God. And so, Lord, right now, as he ministers to us, Lord, we pray that you would do that amazing God thing that you do, that with the measure he uses, it would be measured out to him. And that, Lord, as he ministers to us, he, in turn, would be built up and edified in his spirit. And, Father, we believe that there is an outpouring coming to our nation from this city. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd deposit right now something of that in his spirit, that he would carry that with him where he goes, but he would serve that mandate today. We bless you and we bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, Richard. Hey, thanks, Fraser. It is a privilege to be here today. And um, later today, we literally um, go to the airport, fly up to Heathrow, and then start our journey back to New Zealand, the 22 hours of flights. It's exciting, but we're going to stop off a couple of days in uh, Singapore. But can I just say, you know, everyone told me that Scotland has two seasons, basically winter and June. But do you know what I encountered? They're all wrong. I've been here for two days, and you've got incredible weather. You know, in fact, I, my son's been wandering around in shorts and T-shirt for all the time he's been here, and I've been really hot. And then one of my friends sent me a um, message this morning saying, they're having a slight heat wave in Singapore at the moment. It's going to be 37 degrees 
Like, oh my goodness. So I like Scotland. You guys are awesome and great weather in there. But hey, look, I bring greetings from the Elam churches in New Zealand. Um, but also I bring special greetings from Elam Nelson and uh, from my family, my wife Maria, and the church back in Nelson. And as I said before, it's such a privilege to be with you today. And what I've found in my life is there's no better person to align your life to than Jesus. And I think about it. Um, and sometimes it's no mean feat to do that. You know, I believe that um, the first moment you say yes to Jesus, Lord, you're Lord of my life, you start a lifelong journey to aligning your life to the will of God and the plans and purposes he has for your life. And I tell you what, it's far more amazing than you could ever hope or dream. Because I believe God's got the best life for each one of us in, in our journey. And I love what Paul says. He sums up, I, I, I like this from a discipleship point of view. It says this in Colossians 2, 7. It literally says this, Let your roots go down deep and let your lives be built on Him. You know, let your roots go down deep. You know, and that's easier said than done. Because... There are tough moments in life, isn't there? They come up, they show up, and you know it's. And sometimes they can be incredibly hard, and sometimes they can be impossible moments that leave you facing basically. When it comes to Jesus, two choices: the choice to run to God or to run from God. And we all have those moments. And if you haven't yet, you will. When life just gets to the impossible. And, and when you think you find yourself in that difficult situation, you have that choice. And I was thinking about how best to describe this. And I went, and I suddenly remembered a story of my life when I was four years old. See, I'm an only child. I like to think my parents got it right first time, but a lot of people tell me they had enough after me. But anyway, I was decided that I was going to do something special for my mum as a four-year-old. So I, got, um, I decided I was going to bake her a cake. So I got the flour and I put it up on the bench. And the bench was quite high for a four-year-old. And I remember after putting it up there, I had one of those slow-mo experiences. Suddenly it tilted and the whole bag of flour started to slow motion fall to the floor. And I'm like, no, as a kid. And as I'm diving for it, it just hits the ground and goes everywhere. And I'm thinking... Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I'm trying to do a good thing for mum, but what am I going to do? So I thought the only thing I should do is clean it up. So I got, some, I got a cloth and some water. And I started putting water and water on the flour and rubbing it and rubbing it. And who knows that I invented glue at that moment. You know, as a four-year-old, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's a mess now. So I do the only thing I could do. I went and got the local newspaper, and I got that and started wiping it up. And from inventing glue, I invented paper mache, and it got worse to the point that the ink leached from the paper and stained the lino on the floor. Then enters mum, and she sees her four-year-old basically with the newspaper stuck all over him, half stuck to the floor. 
and she, her heart goes out, praise God. Isn't that awesome when mum's hearts go out? Oh, and today is Mother's Day in New Zealand as well. So, you know, so her heart goes, bless my mum, that's awesome. And, and, and she just, I'm crying, and she, she ends up, I do get in trouble. I get told off. I have consequences to my actions. But it all started out by doing something good. But I often wondered, if I went to mum when that flower bag fell, the lino would never would have been stained. And the same thing is with us. How often when things get hard, do we first choose to run to God or do we try to work it out ourselves and make a bigger mess and even sometimes end up running away from God? I often wonder this. So when these hard times in life happen, how do we react? Because this often reflects actually how deep our roots go in God. If they go deep, we will always run to him. But if we're not that deep, we often try to solve it ourselves. And so that's my challenge. So I love this scripture that Paul says. He says to the Colossians and us today, let your roots go down deep and let your lives be built on him. And I just love that. And I was just thinking about it. And there's a great piece of history we find in John 5. Um, And it tells of a time where Jesus had just sort of crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And he wanted some alone time with his disciples. His disciples wanted some alone time with him. They'd been out two by two doing ministry, um, sharing the word. And they did heaps of ministry. And they were tired. They were worn out. and And on top of that, Jesus just found out that his friend, John the Baptist, had just got killed, beheaded. And it was like not only his friend, his cousin. And so he's stressed. He's tired. And they all just wanted a couple of days out just to breathe, to recharge the batteries and everything else. They just needed some downtime. And as they sat up on this hill on the side of the Sea of Galilee, they suddenly see this crowd slowly walking out and walking around towards them. And they start moving towards their location. And I just want to pick up the story in John 6, verse 5. It goes this, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing the great multitude coming to him, he says to Philip, and I love this, he says to Philip, because there's over 5,000 men plus families plus kids suddenly materializing in front of them. And he says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I love this. Think about it. Suddenly 5,000 plus just parents, probably up to 20,000 people turn up. And he goes, so, so Philip, where do you reckon we can get enough food for these guys to eat? You know, and you think about it. You see, what you need to understand is Philip was the local boy of the region. So he probably is like what I did when I first took Berea around Palmerston North, where I was brought up in New Zealand. You know, I'd go, hey, honey, this is where I went to school. Hey, this is the bakery I used to get my pies from. This is my favorite this. This is, my, this is the hill where you'd go up as young people and just look over the city. And, and then this is the place where you'd do this and this. And I'd take her around all these areas. And I could see Philip doing the same thing. You know, hey, Jesus. 
This is where you, you, this is my favorite eating spot. Hey, you need some time out. Hey, there's a hill across the Sea of Galilee. Why don't we go up there and we can chill, we can relax. It's great. So Philip knows where the food places are. He knows where the local Tisco's is. He knows where that local supermarket is. And, and so Jesus looks at him and says, hey, how about this? Where are we going to feed all these people? And so he could be sitting there going, oh my goodness, you're right. There's thousands of them. Where are we going to get enough food from? They, we can't get that from the local supermarket, the local bakery or anything. And note that Jesus was testing Philip. In fact, it actually says it in the next line. You have a look in verse 6. He says, but this he said to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. You know, I love that. Because even in our toughest moments, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And you've got to be encouraged by that. And so eventually, um, as those that know the story, you know that Jesus does a miracle and feeds the 5,000 or 20,000 plus. And here's the thing. Outside the resurrection and death, um, you know, the resurrection or the death and resurrection of Jesus which this is the only other miracle that appears in all four Gospels. Why? Because so many people were participant in it. So many people talked about it. So many people knew it because at least 20,000 people were touched. And, and in the middle of all this, here we find Jesus testing Philip. And you need to realize that God will never tempt you, but sometimes he tests you. And a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. You know, it, again, it's to show and remind us how deep our roots go. I was thinking, I know you all think I'm quite young, which I really appreciate right now, but in 1995, um, our church was big into Hillsong songs, and there was a song that came out, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. You know, and I remember singing it at the beginning of the year, my heart going, Jesus, the love of my son. And I just believed it. I, I just, and I was engaged to be married at the time. I had a great job. But then by Easter, um, basically, my fiance and I broke up. Praise God, because I married the most awesome woman in the world, Maria. You know, God has good. But at the time, I was devastated. I made one of the worst mistakes you could make at work. Um, I broke a spiral freezer. Now, that doesn't sound that bad, but I worked in a company that made pies and pastry, and I was their quality assurance manager. And um, basically, the spiral freezer, which freezes all the pastry and everything else, broke. And it was kind of on my watch. And so we ended up, a company that makes pies and pastry ended up being sh basically not having enough pastry for New Zealand at one point for frozen pastry, which you'd take home and roll up and all this. So I got into a wee bit of trouble over that. Um, and, that and then on top of that, a guy who was my life mentor at that point for 15 years of my life actually passed away of cancer. So in the space of those four months, uh, my confidence at work, my relationship and my mentor were stripped away. And you see, I chose to run to God. See, by the middle of 1995, I knew the words of that song. And they were this, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. Now I know 
I love you, I need you. Though my, way, though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my saviour, my closest friend, and I will worship you until the very end. You see, in the beginning of 95, I sung those words. But by the middle of 95, I knew those words. You've got to understand a faith that's tested is incredibly a great strength to have. So we find Jesus gives Philip an unsolvable problem. He gives Philip, the local, a simple thing. Where do we find enough food to feed these people? And see, it says in Matthew 14, 21, the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. And so that could easily have gone over 20,000 people turning up. And you see, so I've got a question. What is your unsolvable problem? You know, at the moment, right the way around the world, there is a financial crisis going on. Interest rates are going up. So is it finance? Is it a financial issue? Maybe there's someone in the family or something's going on in the family and maybe it's someone far from God. Maybe some difficulties going on there. Maybe it might be a health issue. Maybe you've got an unfavored health report or something like that. And for some of you, you don't have an unsolvable problem sitting in front of you right now. But I can encourage you, one day you will. They do come along. And you see, Jesus knew what he wanted to do. But he just, and that, and he just throws this out to his testers, disciples. And sometimes I feel that in the middle of it, we can take courage because Jesus knows what he is doing. You know, God is preparing to do something good. See, my unsolvable problem, let me tell you about mine. Mine is aging parents. And that they are amazing parents, but they want to continue to live in their own house. My mum keeps falling over. My dad says, no, we're not going to move out of our house. It's like four bedrooms. They live by themselves. They, they're in Palmerston North. I live on the, that's in the North Island. I live in the South Island. And the Cook Strait, which is the bit of water between, is one of the most expensive pieces of water in the world to cross. Um, and so, so we get to see him only two or three times a year. And, and on top of that, you know, as an only child, I feel I'm responsible for them, and, and they're refusing to go into retirement villages and all sorts of things. So we buy, so we get their groceries online that get delivered. We get their dinners online and, and get delivered. But there are times where the frustration of the situation gets into our marriage, and Maria gets to feel it. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but there's those things, and we just go, God, what are we to do? And, you know, and that, so, so the question is this. How do we build our lives on Jesus? How do we let our roots go down deep when faced with an unsolvable problem or an impossible problem? How do you allow that to happen? And so I've got some thoughts on this. And the first one is this. Keep your heart, keep your heart of compassion. You know, the unsolvable problem is often followed by a heart of compassion. You see, you need to understand Jesus and the disciples have been working quite a long time, and they were worn out. And of course, as I said before, friends of John the Baptist had just told Jesus that his cousin had died. And after that, they decided to go and have a rest. And then, inconveniently, about 20,000 people turn up. And so, if you actually follow through the Gospels, the disciples' first reaction is, 
Jesus, tell him to go away. This is our time with you. You know, go away. Go away. You know, get rid of them. Send them away. But, Je- but Jesus says no. See, the best things that God wants to do in and through you will usually come at an interruption. I don't know about you, but um, in New Zealand, I do a bit of traveling on planes, and I had a long weekend, and I'd done a, a bit of ministry, and I was sitting on a plane, and I was about to head home. And normally what happens is people like to sit next to you, and you can choose how to answer them. You know, like, so, so they say, so what do you do? And sometimes I say, I'm a life coach. Let me tell you, and they go, oh, wow, that's interesting. And so we have a conversation and that. Other times when I don't want to talk, I tell them that I'm a minister of God. <laughs> and they normally go, my cousin's religious, and that's about the conversation. <laughs> and I'm in one of those moods. So I'm sort of sitting on the plane, and this lady comes rushing in at the last minute, sits down. And then her phone rings, and she picks it up, and she starts talking. And she gets off the phone. I'm like going, oh, yes, it's going to be an hour flight. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. And then suddenly she just bursts into tears. I'm thinking, okay, this is good. She bursts into tears. I'm thinking, man, what's this all about? And she ends up telling me she just got a phone call to tell her that her niece just died in a car accident. And I'm sitting there going... Wow. And I had compassion. Something shifted in my world. Like before, I just wanted to shut this down, but something shifted. And I got to talk with her, pray with her, got the flight attendants to bring 100 million boxes of tissues to her. And, you know, she then got off the plane and she had come to our church once just to say thank you. But you just don't know at the most inconvenient times what you have in front of us. I love what it says in Mark 6.34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like a sheep that had no shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And I love that because not only does Jesus just want to feed them, as you'll read later, um, with food, but he feeds us spiritually as well. And we've got to make sure that as our roots go down deep, we stay hungry. But in the middle of it, he found compassion. And it was interesting in my unsolvable problem, my parents, you know, dad brings me up one day and he goes, and, and he goes like this. He goes, Richard, I want to watch a DVD. I go, that's nice. That's great. Well, you've got the instructions I left on how to use a DVD player. Mum's lost them. Oh, that's all right. I, I can talk you through this. So I was going through my phone trying to find the picture of the remote control that I took before I left and all this. And so for the next hour, we had a discussion on where the eject button is on the DVD player and on the remote control. And it went on and on. And at one point, Maria, my wife, walks into the room. She hears the conversation on the phone. So she just turned around and walked straight back out. I was getting frustrated. And then there one point was, well, you need to have a look on the DVD player. And he says, oh, well, if I get down, I won't be able to get back up. 
And I said, okay, that's all right. And see, then he goes, Ellen, that's my mum's name, can you come in and get on the floor and check the DVD player? She had a hip operation four weeks earlier. It was like, my goodness. And so, we're, so in the end, he goes, oh, well, I just won't watch a DVD. And it was interesting because everything went out of me, out of frustration. Everything stripped out. And then later on, I was talking with Maria and, you know, wives are always right. Can I just say that? She says, you need to ring up and apologize and be more compassionate. And I said, well, they shouldn't keep giving me in difficult, impossible situations like how to turn on a DVD player, you know, um, in New Zealand. And so, so in the end, next time we visited, what happened was I kept compassion because what compassion does, it goes beyond feelings of sympathy and empathy. It actually leads to action. So the next time I was in Palmerston North, I took the DVD player out of the TV cabinet. I sat it on a table next to it. I wrote on these big sticky pieces of paper that I taped to the DVD player with arrows, eject button, play button, and took photos of the remote controls, rewrote instructions, left them in three different places in the house, and worked out how I could explain it in five minutes. And, and so now my mum and dad watch DVDs all the time again, Praise God for that. But I learned we need in our most difficult situations is to keep a heart of compassion. If you, you know, and particularly in whatever you face, and you need to keep that heart of compassion towards people and to Jesus. Because often we find ourselves wanting to blame something, and that leads to bitterness, and you don't want to go down that track of bitterness. So stay and choose to be compassionate. And the second thing you need to do when you're facing an impossible situation is actually don't write off the unlikely solution. Actually don't write off the unlikely in that. Think about Philip. We've, we've left him with Jesus telling us how we're going to feed these people. So he's sitting there trying to crunch the problem. I can almost see him like pulling out a calculator and, he, and he's working out the cost like Oh, man, we don't even have enough money to feed 20,000 people like this, let alone knowing that the local bakeries, they all can't make that much food. It's just crazy. What are we going to do? This is impossible, Jesus. It's just impossible. And what I find is he was actually at the wedding feast of Canaan. He saw Jesus turn water to wine. But the problem was so big in his sight that he couldn't see past it to see the miraculous workings of our God. How often do we face something that we can't see past what we're looking at to actually see and trust and know that God is working? And so in comes Andrew. And I love Andrew because Andrew shows up. And what we find in the book of John, and whenever actually Andrew shows up in the Gospels, he's always bringing someone to Jesus. He starts off by bringing his brother to Jesus. And at this moment, he turns up with a little boy and a lunchbox. Later on, at the end of John, you discover that Andrew actually brings a couple of random Greek guys to Jesus. And, that, and so, so that's what Andrew does. He just brings people to Jesus. And, and we find out in this lunchbox is some bread. And you can tell it's a poor family because back in those days, barley loaves were the cheapest bread you could get. And, there were, and, and, and that's what the child had. And so he offers the lunch to Andrew. 
And that's how they knew he had food. And I found that the recipe God wants to use for the miraculous in your life is often already there. It's already there. And that, and we just need to sow the seed to let God grow it. And maybe you're challenged financially at the moment. You're facing something impossible. Well, do the natural. Just do a budget. It may not add up, but at least start a budget. Maybe it's for you. And maybe just prayer. You know, in a small group. Get into a small group and have people praying for you. If you've got prayer cards here, write it down. Get the church praying for you. Just get friends praying for you. Start pressing into God. and Don't do it alone. Or maybe it's a health issue. And maybe... It's just as simple as starting to go on a diet. Start to look at what you're eating. Do what you can do to let God do what he can do. And I want to encourage you. See, God may be saying to you, give me what you have in your hand and I will unlock what is in your heart. See, in Mark 6, 38, it says this. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fishes. You know, it may be impossible for 20,000 people. But Jesus didn't write off the small things. I want to encourage you, even in that, don't write off the unlikely solutions. So how do we let our roots go down deep in God? How do we um, operate when we're facing something impossible? Keep your heart of compassion. Don't write off the unlikely solutions. And here's the big one. Choose thankfulness. Choose thankfulness. You see, I love this. Jesus prays over the loaves and fishes um, before they were multiplied. He prays over them. And not only that, is he gives thanks. So I think someone needs to hear this today in this room. You've got to realize Jesus was holding not enough. But he still thanked God for it in the impossible situation. Jesus was holding not enough. And someone needs to hear that today. But he still chose thankfulness. And what I love is, um, can you, in your impossible situation, say, this is only a test, and I'm going to choose to thank him anyway. Can you choose thankfulness with what's in your hands right now? I love 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you need to understand, things begin to change when you have a grateful heart standing in the middle of an impossible problem. But notice, he didn't just bless the food, he also broke the food. And I find... God always blesses what he allows to be broken. See, I love Matthew with the Beatitudes, full of lots of blessings. But if you read it, blessed are those of the brokenhearted. I want to encourage you, even in the hardest moments, God is with you, he's for you, and he's not going to let you go. So, Choose thankfulness. But here's the last one I want to share in the thought today. Actually, choose to eat well. Choose to eat well. Because what we learn is every single person in that 20,000 plus crowd walked away with full stomachs. 
Every single one of them. See, John 6, 11 says this. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them to those who were seated, and it was as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I love that. See, the Word of God can feed you as much or as little as you choose. It's actually your choice. And it's with worship. It's your choice to step into. It's your choice on whether you get involved and go deeper into the life of the church. It's your choice in that. See, I love a 19th century theologian and preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He said it this way. This is one of the rules of Christ's feasting. As much as they want it, according to their appetite, according to their will, according to their faith, so be it unto you. See, at the end of the day, our faith is you choose. You choose. And in this season of an unsolvable problem, in this season of allowing your roots to go down deep, how much will you eat? How deep will you go and allow your roots to go? How much will you choose Jesus, God, in this moment? You know, it's, it's you know, chase him, church on Sundays. You know, get involved in prayer and get people praying around. Get involved in small groups. Maybe choose to be giving. Maybe choose to get involved in serving. You know, you choose. You choose how much you get involved. Don't just attend church, but be the church. You know, choose to step into the things of God for your life because he has a plan and purpose for your life. He has the best life for you. And even the most difficult circumstances and the hardest moments, choose to run to him. Don't end up with like a little boy stuck to the floor about to get in trouble with his mum. Choose instead to run instead of trying to solve things yourselves. You see, so... In the impossible, when this, it seems impossible in life. I just want to invite a muso if you want to come on up. And I just want to share this. You know, when things are impossible. You know, Paul writes down in Colossians. He says this. And we started with it. Colossians 2, 7. Let your roots go down deep in him. And let your lives be built on him. But that's not where it finishes. There's a promise. As you choose to let your roots go down. As you choose to build your life on him, here's the promise. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Who wants their faith to grow strong and to overflow with thankfulness? Let's pray, eh? Let's just pray. Father God, I just thank you today. Father God, that each of us has a choice. And I thank you that our God is not just a God of enough, but he is a God of more than enough. In the feeding of 5,000, at the end of it, the disciples walked away with food. There was more than enough for everyone there. And Father God, right now, I just ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Just start speaking to people across this room.